In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. <laughs> Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality, coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome once again, friends, to another edition of Strange Planet. And on this episode, a uh, an absolute fan favorite and one of mine as well, Hidden Anomalies of Antarctica. We're going to get the latest updates from a, a good friend of the program, a good friend of mine, Brad Olson. He's um, just in a, he's like a, a real-life Indiana Jones. He's the author of um, 10 books and counting, including three in his esoteric series, Modern Esoteric, Future Esoteric, and the newly released, well, relatively newly, I guess it's the newest one, Beyond Esoteric. He's an award-winning author, book publisher, event producer. His keynote presentations and interviews have enlightened audiences at Contact in the Desert, UFO Mega Conference, the 5D events, and dozens and dozens of radio um, uh, shows, including Coast to Coast, where uh, we've spent some time on Coast as well, Ground Zero, Fate to Black TV shows, including Ancient Aliens, America Unearthed, Beyond Belief, Mysteries of the Outdoors. I think we may have met on that show, actually. Uh, he'll sit straight in a moment. Anyway, Brad Olson, welcome back. How are you, buddy? It's been a while. Hey, Richard, doing great. Just on a tour through Arizona after speaking at a big conference this weekend with George Norrie at the Sedona Ascension Retreat and a lot of other luminaries and gave my uh, talk on Antarctica. It's a perennial favorite and people just can't seem to get enough of all the information and all the history of that frozen planet. Right. We spoke when you were at the very tip of uh, Chile, I believe, getting ready to cross over on the ferry, which is, I would imagine, a very treacherous because it was winter solstice. Uh, I think you said 2018. You were just getting ready to cross over to the Antarctic at that point. What was that, that trip like? 
It was actually a Bariloche, Argentina, Argentina. where we spoke. Uh, I called in from coast to coast. I had to have an Airbnb host make sure the phone lines were secure at that early in the morning hour. And then I had bought a car for that trip four years ago that we were on our way down to cross over the Magellan Straits into Terra del Fuego, where we caught a boat in Ushuaia, Argentina. And that's about where 90% of all the boat traffic leaves from, mostly on uh, the ocean liners. But I had the opportunity to go on a sailboat, a 72-foot sailboat with 11 poles and three Americans. And that was quite a treacherous journey crossing the Drake Passage. I can't imagine uh, in 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 uh, in winter, no less. Um, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your presentation. You just gave it in uh, Sedona, and I know you're gonna you're back in Sedona for another, uh, I think, a UFO sighting uh, conference, and then um, you just you're a very 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 busy man with these speaking events. But so let's talk about the the presentation, hidden anomalies of Antarctica. Um, the idea that, and we've talked about this before, but this is always so captivating and fascinating the idea that there are these huge alien craft emerging from the melting ice how many to date do we think there are down there ufos well it, they've been known about for decades the alphabet agencies in the u.s that are in charge of working with or covering up all things ufo most predominantly the nsa no such agency as they weren't admitted to until the 1980s but in the 1970s, they identified three massive craft down there, Richard, and they nicknamed them the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria. And I think I have a pretty good GPS and idea where at least one of them is. I'm always on the hunt to try to find any of the hidden anomalies of Antarctica. Well, where do you think they're located and, and how do you arrive? Are you using Google Earth or what, what are you using to, uh, to, to, to figure out where these things are? Well, Google Earth is the one at a base called Conan, K-O-N-H-E-N. And get this, it is located in the new Schwabenland claim of Nazi Germany in the 1930s. I would propose that they had caught sight of this under the ice and went down to investigate it, oh, about 80 years ago. So that's how long uh, some of these craft have been known. But in 2013, they were doing an excavation at this Conan base and Google Earth allowed the pictures to be revealed. And what you could see is about a quarter mile long, perfectly symmetrical grading type of craft, uh, partially submerged. But there was one side of it that you could see uh, an entrance going in and an outward camp up on the ice, including a uh, airstrip and snowmobile tracks and a, a multicolored something orangish that they were pulling out, perhaps rust or something else that had tainted the snow around there. So I'd say that is my number one category for one of these three under ice craft. And then there's rumors. Another one is in the Trans-Antarctic Mountain that Linda Moulton Howe had some whistleblowers come out with. And another one uh, at the Southern Palmer Peninsula, which is a few hundred miles from where I was on the Palmer Peninsula. But Let's keep in mind, Antarctica is a huge continent. It's the fifth largest in the world. You had all these dignitaries uh, flying down there, uh, including, I believe, at one time, John Kerry. I think either Prince Harry or Prince William went, yeah, down, Prince William. went down there. And it seems to me, I think you told me this, Brad, that someone hacked into the, um, it's like Fitbit, where you... Um, you know, yep. you, that exercise thing that you wear on your wrist to measure your steps and someone hacked into a database and, and were able to track all of this activity around perhaps the, uh, the, that first craft that you mentioned in New Schwabenland. Yeah, there were a couple hacks. Uh, we heard about it in the news because they said, oh, the soldiers at Kandahar were going out jogging at the time when the U.S. was in Afghanistan and they could get tracked and shot at but they buried the bigger story. And that is these Fitbits were showing where a lot of these elite or very wealthy people who are into fitness going there to climb the Vincent Massif, which is the tallest mountain in Antarctica. And that's a big thing to summit all seven continents highest points. So there was some of that at one of the outward bases 
as you often have to wait for storms to subside before you can fly from point A to point B on the continent. And in one of those cases, I did find out that they were just doing some snowmobile and a triathlon moving around this area. But then other ones show some of these top locations and going about to far-flung places. And you just got to ask yourself, what would you find on the polar plateau that is a virtual desert of ice? Two miles up, this polar plateau is that thick of ice in eastern Antarctica. And it was actually Prince Harry that did a cross-country trip with his uh, army buddies from the South Pole. Now, according to Google Earth, say anything about that it's just one big sheet of ice for hundreds of miles all directions nothing really to see except a big frozen chunk of ice yet prince harry and his army buddies for several days went one degree from the north pole and that is the presumed entrance of this giant cavity below the ice how quickly is it emerging from the ice based on the google earth images you've seen so this location richard uh, many times I've tried to find it. It's just a big white screen over the top, just a really sloppy. They can't even use Photoshop tools to even disguise it as not being a screen, just a big white rectangle. Nope, can't see this. But it's quite paradoxical how other locations do get revealed, like this Conan base in 2013. If you were to go in the uh, Wayback Machine, you can view it. And I have many screen captures of it. Um, let's talk about some other structures. The, um, the pyramids, reported uh, pyramids existing, that this would be in the Shackleton and Ellsworth range as well. Um, how yes. are these spotted? How many? What do they look like? And there's even a third location far away from McMurdo Base. In fact, uh, my cop in the field... Eric Hecker spent one year at South Pole and we were at a conference uh, in Vegas a year and a half ago. And we're just comparing notes and he brought all his stuff for his presentation. We were unrolling this big, long panorama shot of the bay around McMurdo, American base. And there it is. It even says pyramid right below it and it's popping up. So there's one that's right on the coast. That's that one. And then in the Ellsworth and that is probably the best uh, one that most people are familiar with. It's what ancient aliens focus their whole pyramids in Antarctica episode on, where it's a four-sided pyramid, and you can come down on that on Google Earth and catch a shadow and does look like a near-perfect pyramid. So I asked my uh, contact who does these trips to Vincent Massif and South Pole. And really, you can pay to go anywhere you want. It'll be very expensive, but it is doable. So there's a misconception that ain't our lows and you can't go there. This guy says, oh, no, we fly over that pyramid. And he called it a nun attack, which is attractive mountain sticking out of the mountain. So I said to him, well, did you ever land there? Did you ever go there and take a sample or test it out or climb it? No, no, we just fly over it. It's a nun attack. So to some people, case closed, but I think it's worthy of more investigation. Uh, and and what, is the, what is the theory behind these, these pyramids, that they were, they were built by um, an, an antediluvian advanced civilization or, or what? Well, they would really have to be. Right, because Antarctica has been covered with ice and for at least hundreds of thousands of years, if not millions of years. And how would you build something? Protruding the pyramid was excavated in Giza. A good portion of it was under the sand. And then when they excavated out the sand, they found the perfect casing stones that weren't hauled away and used in some mosque of in Cairo. But in this case, if these pyramids do pan out, well, then we have pyramids on every single continent of the world. And this is quite a game changer, Richard, because then we can make the case for an the last ice age. We're even talking hundreds of thousands or perhaps millions of years. And that would also pan out with all the megaliths and the builder race of the polygonal architecture, which I do include in a, another one of my presentations. And also, under the 
ocean sites such as you know, and off the coast of Cuba, as well as the Bimini Roads and other features uh, under the Atlantic. There's even a pyramid off of the Azori Islands in the Atlantic that was just discovered a few years ago by a fisherman using side scan sonar looking for schools of fish to catch. And here's this pyramid poking right up like four-sided. So even under the water, Richard, is quite the enigma on this planet. What would it cost? Has anyone talked about an expedition to that pyramid? I mean, can you imagine if you were able to excavate and maybe, I don't know, find an entrance into the pyramid? What do you imagine you'd find in there? Well, but first of all, let's, what would an expedition do you think, what would it take to lead an expedition there cost? It's all about the uh, how much you got, <laughs> but he I did a price it out with this company that do these private expeditions. It'd be about sixty thousand per person to go to land a a plane, which they have to fly over from Puntas Arenas, Chile, which is also on Terra del Fuego. That's where all the flights that go to in are ninety percent of them leave from there. But if we were to go to Schwabenland to check out that uh, Conan base, the approach would be from South Africa. Similarly, if you're going to go to McMurdo Sound, you'd come from New Zealand. So those are the three points to arrive. But they would have, then you'd also have to first land at either King George and from Puntas Arenas and wait for the weather to subside so you can land a plane there and get out and investigate. Also do camping trips, and that's uh, for not the faint at heart because the temperatures can get extremely cold, and we're talking in the summer down there, which is the winter here. So when we spoke on coast, it was actually summer solstice down there, right. and that's really the only time it's feasible to do an expedition from basically mid-November to right around now, end of March. So people are getting out of there right now. And in a month from now, when just the skeleton crew of all the bases that stay there year round, the whole continent of Antarctica has 1,000 people on it. It's just amazing when you think that there's 8 billion of us elsewhere, but fifth largest continent, eh, only 1,000 people. Wow. I have to imagine, though, that that a, a, a television network, cable network like the History Channel would would be interested in getting behind an expedition like that and funding it. You sure would think, but the Nat Geo and Smithsonian Institution here in America, they are have been notorious for their cover-ups. For example, I mentioned the Yonaguni site off the Okinawa Islands south of Japan, almost to Taiwan. It's the, the most southernmost prefecture or island that is governed by Japan. And just underwater there, 20 years ago, some guy was just uh, scuba diving, looking for albacore or something to catch. And he came across this site. And it, and it took over 20 years since the discovery of it till just recently for Nat Geo to admit that it had to have been fashioned. And, and they did it in such a way that they were even kind of mocking it or scorning the idea that this could possibly exist. Well, somebody must have had a hand at chopping away some blocks with some primitive tools back in the last ice age. So they, they dismiss these kind of things. So to me, that says, you're not really looking, you don't really want to find the truth here. And that's why it falls on the shoulders of uh, the alternative media and people that really do want to find the truth that have to go around these, these institution like Smithsonian gate was responsible for destroying hundreds, perhaps thousands of giant bones and these out-of-place artifacts that were found all across North America. And they would just come in to a dig site with their FBI card. Hey, we're Smithsonian here. We'll take over this. And, and even regular archaeologists said, well, we want to find the results of this. We want to find out what you discovered. And they would call them months, years later. Where's the findings? We don't know what you're talking about. So there is a concerted effort by some of these older institutions to cover the truth, because obviously we can't handle the truth <laughs> or, or our real true history of who we are as humans on this planet. 
any um, reported recovery of uh, giant skeletons in Antarctica? There have been talk of that, as well as giants that are in stasis that are now just waking up. Very little proof, very little but some eyewitness accounts that have gotten into either some of these under ice bases. And one thing I do point out in my presentations, Richard, I want people to understand that Antarctica is very volcanically active. It is the most volcanoes on a continent anywhere on earth, over 91, well, 91 known, but I presume there are many more under the ice that are creating geothermal heating and creating these massive ice domes. So if there was anywhere you wanted to hide or put a mothership craft or stay out of view of drones and radar, well, under the ice in Antarctica and the deepest depths of the ocean, I'd say, are the best places you could hide out. So th that does make it one of the best mysteries on this strange world of ours that uh, you would have the propensity for some of these giants or ETs to exist. Now, before my trip heading down there, I was up in Peru and we were going to museums in the Sacred Valley and also on Paracas, Peru, right on the coast. There's a whole museum mm -hmm. with these elongated skull beings that are human-like. Some of them even have red hair and you can kind of see some remaining skin on them. Very human-like, but they're not human. They have a 30% larger bulb in the back of their head, 30% larger cranial capacity, as well as the eye sockets being 30% bigger. The, the passage to the spine, 30% bigger. And no uh, central suture on the skull and all these other little minor details that humans don't have. Right. So we do that know that is giants or these other... Like, Sorry, I was just going to yep, say the center is usually indicative of cradle boarding. Right? The crack that goes right up. Yeah. Well, so there is that, and there is cranial deformation. There's no denying that you could put a board on your head and wrap it up, especially when you're a child and you're you're growing into your skull. But you cannot add thirty percent larger cranial capacity. There's no way you could wrap a skull and and create more volume. It just can't happen. Brad, we're going to take a quick time out, come back and um, discuss more of the anomalies hidden deep beneath the ice in Antarctica. Stay with us. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The truth will set you free. 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 But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we're back with Brad Olson, the author of Future Esoteric, Modern Esoteric, Beyond Esoteric, uh, Sacred Places, North America, 108 Destinations, and so many others. 
bradolson.com and ccpublishing.com, and you can find the, uh, the links in the episode notes. We're talking about hidden anomalies, hidden anomalies in uh, the Antarctic. I want to get back to New Schwabenland. Uh, again, this was uh, the Germans uh, were very anxious to, uh, to get down there to the Antarctic, what, beginning in around 1938 or um, thereabouts? Yep. That's when they went down in a ship called the Schwabenland. And that's a region of Germany, kind of one of the provinces of Canada or a state name in the U.S. In Germany, there's a Schwabenland. So the ship was named after it, and they just named this region that they claimed New Schwabenland. And they also had planes on that ship so they could survey the mountains and look around this new landscape. They were also dropping these big torpedoes, not an ordinance, just, just a claim with their little swastika flag on it and apparently okay this but rife history as to what they were doing down there and where the hope you froze on me brad location of the base which that the germans had made claim and moved into a base that they called the new berlin base and another one called base 211 and I believe it was the base 211 that had some outbuildings where the whole confrontation in Operation High Jump began, but it ended out in sea. And that was when these Antarctican Nazis, perhaps with help of some extraterrestrials in Antarctica, soundly defeated Admiral Byrd and his armada of allied ships, including some from Canada, Australia, and the UK, but mostly the US. And they were roundly defeated, Richard, in one day and of high jump, which happened at the end of 1946. Right. After the Germans supposedly surrendered. Well, actually, I don't think Germany ever officially surrendered. I, th I think the Third Reich, the, the Third Reich never surrendered. surrendered. Right. That's right. The Third Reich never surrendered. Um, and so obviously, if, if Operation High Jump is, is, um, true if that actually happened then then the, uh, the the Germans were still in full operation are there any remnants of New Schwabenland and you mentioned some outbuildings is there any indication that they were there that that remain visible well here, here's what just blew me away when I was researching my trip Richard right around on the time I was on with you in coast to coast before I went down there I was pouring over maps anything I could get with Antarctica and I came across a map that was done by National Geographic right before the end of the Cold War. And what did I find in the New Schwabenland area but the flag for West Germany? They never left after World War II. And they're still there to this day, unified German bases. So they found something there that they felt was a claim that they wanted to stake out and continue their research. Now, most of the bases, they are working on climate uh, studies. They're also watching the animals, migration patterns, uh, penguins that are, some are growing in numbers because they're opportunistic and moving into the uh, colder climate and are competing with the penguins that were already there. And those species are, are in decline. So there is a, there is a, upset in the balance of nature down there. There's also areas of Antarctica that are melting very rapidly, but paradoxically, Mother Nature in all her wisdom has areas in Antarctica that are actually raising up in ice. And I, in one of my presentations, I show the most recent uh, areas of the continent that are melting and freezing over and gaining more ice. That's why I guess we don't see catastrophic sea level rises around the world. Um. There are there are no go zones though. You mentioned that you know you you can go just many places within the Antarctic, but there are actual no go zones, are there not? Or or no fly zones? In yes, the there are. That's right. There are definitely no fly zones. And when I was uh, talking about Antarctica on Beyond Belief with George Nori on Gaia TV, we were just uh, having our conversation before the cameras start rolling. And I told him about the no-fly zone over a portion next to the South Pole. 
And that happens to be exactly where Prince Harry was going on his little cross-country trip, which is this presumed hole under the ice. But they say it's a no-fly zone. You can't go within 20 miles of it. But uh, one of Linda Moulton Howe's whistleblowers, Brian S., he did that on an emergency evacuation and saw the giant gaping hole that incidentally has a road that snakes down around into it. So you could take a a, a big polar cat uh, down there, a winter vehicle, and drive it in as well, he reported. I found that fascinating. But that area is a no-fly zone. So I'm telling this to George, and George, why do they need a no-fly zone there? Who's going to the South Pole to enforce a no-fly zone? I said, exactly right, George. Why do you need that? And so that just compounds the mystery of what might be below the ice up there at the South Pole. Any idea who would be enforcing that no-fly zone? Would that be like, I don't know, NATO or who would be enforcing it? The NSA, no such agency, who is known to come to the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station periodically in the season, according to Eric Hecker, not never saying what they're doing. You're never going to get a, a straight answer from them. But there's also a building in McMurdo, the American base, the biggest base in Antarctica, that is an unmarked, unknown building, but everybody knows it belongs to the NSA. So they are tasked to be in anything ET related, or the code word is blue. If you hear blue in it, blue book, blue beam, that has to do with extraterrestrials. And so since its inception, also in the late 1940s, the NSA has been specifically tasked to handle anything extraterrestrial or paranormal or a big entrance like this into this other world. And if we are to believe Admiral Byrd's diary, which was published by his son posthumously, Admiral Byrd flew into that hole. Well, first he discovered it about a decade sooner. And then after high jump, he was summoned there. This is according to his diary that him and one radio man flew out of Little America, which was their base at the time. And they went up to this South Pole region. And I have the exact route they took. And then Richard, there was three hours of missing time. Now you tell me how you can get off the radar screen and just disappear with the limited amount of gas and supplies they had, and then pop out three hours later and fly back to Little America. Well, in the diary, Admiral Byrd goes into this area and under there, his words were verdant green fields and what he later identified as a woolly mammoth. So giant flora, giant fauna existing in Antarctica. I mean, it sounds absolutely fantastic, but this is what he reported. And he was summoned to go have an audience with a person he called the master. And as he was flying in, he had control of his plane and two objects came right on the tip of his wings and he lost control of flying and they guided him in. And then he went into this big crystal-like city, best I can imagine it, like the Wizard of Oz going into uh, the Emerald City. And there he was taken in by himself. The radio man had to stay behind to visit the master. And basically what the master said is in 1946, they were very concerned about the U.S. using nuclear weapons. Of course, Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings had just happened. And he was giving a warning for Admiral Byrd to take back to his military rank and file and say, they're not happy with this. And on that trip back, so then he flew back safely, joined the Armada, and they called off high jump two months into the six-month expedition. On his way back, a Chilean journalist came aboard the ship, and Admiral Byrd quipped the following, I don't want to be an alarmist, but we will be con confronted with an enemy that has the ability to fly pole to pole in a single day. Now, as far as I know, Richard, there's still no technology. I'm sure there is, it exists and, and they have it in secret that could fly pole to pole in one day. And now a lot of researchers, when that uh, those ships came right over the U.S. Capitol in 1952, <laughs> That was actually the Antarctica Nazis, and they forced Harry Truman to sur sign surrender papers. So in actuality, the U.S. lost World War II in 1952, 
and in Operation High Jump. The last wars and battles were all won by these renegade Nazis, which I think we can call the Fourth Reich because they have been in operation. All the money just evaporated at the end of World War II. All the gold, even priceless artifacts and paintings that still haven't been recovered. So Martin Borman, the money man, he keeps popping up all over South America in the late 40s and 1950s. And even Hitler itself is presumed to have faked his death and lived out his natural life and buried and died in Paraguay. We were talking uh, before we pressed record. Um, when you left um, to cross over in that huge sailing vessel to the Antarctic in this little, that little town in Argentina, you said it was a it was a Bavarian, it was a, like a almost a complete replica of a Bavarian town. So obviously heavily influenced by the Germans who came there. What during the war, after the war? Oh, they were there definitely pre-war, and they're uh, that that's. Bariloche, and that's in uh, central Patagonia, but right on the Chilean border. There was a three-season series on the History Channel called Hunting Hitler, mm. and I had the opportunity to go to many of the places portrayed in that series, especially in South America. And there was the La Falda Hotel, where Hitler was even spotted after the war with uh, Eva Braun and his German shepherd Blondie. They all got out and uh, all these safe houses. And in Bariloche, which is a, a, a several hundred miles away from La Falda, another big Germanic town, you go in and, oh, we can go get sauerkraut and, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, schnitzel, right? <laughs> yeah, German restaurants, the only place you see them are in these German enclaves. And in Bariloche, it's a big alpine lake right on the uh, uh, Chilean, and, and but it's in Argentina border. And in hunting Hitler, they got close. They went by boat to the Inelco house. And this was one of the safe houses for Hitler. And what I found so fascinating, I, I tried to go there, but it's gated community. You can't see it. They went by boat, went ashore, and they found stovepipes for an underground bunker now, that would be very difficult and expensive to build if it's just somebody's uh, lake house. But they also found the seaplane dock. So if the authorities were ever moving in on the Analco house, they could rush Hitler out to a seaplane, take off, just go over the border into Chile and evade capture. So they had all, all these fail safes that were also built in to many of those locations where some of these top Third Reich, never surrender Nazis went after World War II. Brad, we're going to take another time off or time out. Rather, This is absolutely fascinating. Back with Brad Olson as we discuss hidden anomalies in Antarctica. Stay with us. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca. Brad Olson is here, author of Future Esoteric, Modern Esoteric, Beyond Esoteric, and uh, the website Brad Olson, that's spelled O-L-S-E-N, bradolson.com, and cccpublishing.com. We're talking about hidden anomalies in uh, the Antarctic. Uh, tell me about, you, you mentioned earlier some maps um, of the Antarctic, but some of these actually predate the discovery of the Antarctic. Tell me about those. Yeah, this is when it gets really interesting, Richard, and I think does point us in the direction of an antediluvian or pre-diluvian civilization existing on this planet a long, long time ago. As you know, when we went to school, we heard that 
the earliest civilization was Sumer, Mesopotamia, and ancient Egypt. Oh, only eight, six, ten thousand years ago. Well, already Gobekli Tepe in, in Turkey has far predated and other sites. So in my new presentation, which is the early maps of the uh, age of exploration and the megaliths and pre-Diluvian uh, architecture around the world of a builder race, where this polygonal architecture can be found literally around the world, that they also, of the very first maps, includeth Amerigo Vespucci signing where where. Did he put his signature way down in southern Patagonia? So they knew that area. That was one of the first places that got mapped. And these maps all show Antarctica down there. And this is in the 1500s, the 1600s, especially the Piri Reese map, which he was a Turkish admiral. His map was drawn in 1513. That's just 21 years after Columbus, who, by the way, to his his dying day, never even thought he had continent. He always thought he was in the island south of India, like the Maldives or sure, Indonesia. That's why Native Americans are called Indians to this day, because they were misnamed by Christopher Columbus, thinking they were southern India. So these maps, which go all the way up to the time of Captain Cook, who in the 17, I believe, 70s, he did the first circumnavigation of the Southern Ocean. So he went all the way around Antarctica without setting foot on it or sighting it. So he takes his information back to the Royal Academy of Sciences and said, no, there's no continent down there. So for hundreds of years, there's this blob with Magellan's Strait in it, sometimes depicted because map makers would often copy other map makers. And then the map said, no more Antarctica after Cook's journey. But Cook also published his account of the Antarctic Southern Ocean region as being very rich in marine mammals, such as seals and whales. So it was the merchant marines who read his account, went down to Antarctica as uh, merchants of fortune, and were the ones that discovered Antarctica in 1821. So it isn't it curious that in the liner notes of the Piri Reese map, he says not only did they use source maps from Columbus, but also from maps from the Library of Alexandria, wow. burned down pre-Christ, having that as a reference source map. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, are you planning a trip uh, back there anytime soon? Well, one time I gave my talk uh, about it at Contact in the Desert and uh, some guy who says he was really wealthy is like, oh, I want to pay for your trip down there, and but that never panned out. And I've also been approached by other film crews and it's just really expensive to mount a trip. So I would go back down there with a film crew working on some kind of project, but uh, would prefer not to uh, foot the bill myself like last time. Right. You call it, um, is this your name for it or is it other people call it this as well, Illuminati Disneyland? <laughs> that was, so that was the nickname that came up when all the elite were going down there around the 2016, 2017 timeframe. John Kerry, the acting secretary of state of the U.S. Oh, he's in Antarctica on election day when Hillary Clinton lost the election to Trump. What is he doing down there? You think he'd be stumping for his candidate on the uh, election trail, but no, he's in Antarctica, flies into McMurdo, disappears for several days, not saying where he's going and nobody knew it was a top secret trip, came back through McMurdo and then he's out of there. Same with uh, Becca Man to walk on the moon right around that time frame was down there and King Carlos of Spain. So you have uh, even royalty and heads of state or secretaries of state as well as celebrity astronauts all going down in this time frame. And then that's where the name Illuminati Disneyland kicked in because people were saying, well, what are they doing down there? Oh, John Kerry's a climate champion or King Carlos Spain. He really just wanted to see the penguin colonies, which are fascinating. And I enjoyed seeing them too, but as old men, even patriarch Krill from Russia, 
He's in his 80s going down there. I'm telling you, that trip kicked my butt, Richard. Uh, and I'm a healthy guy, but I got seasick for three days, and it's brutal travel to get there. So that's probably why there's there's a barrier of entry, why it's so hard to get in and so few actually make it. But all these guys went, all these wealthy, and I've just named a few. There are quite a bit more. Do you suppose they're going into the uh, into the opening, into the inner earth? I think that was Prince Harry's trip because he left from uh, Amundsen Scott South Pole Station and they went one degree, which is 20, 30, 40 miles. They, it's a pretty good distance. But that's where this hole into the ice is. From all accounts and all whistleblowers who have all put it on the, uh, actually the new Schwabenland side of uh, the South Pole. Are the, and I wouldn't doubt if they got a sight of it too, because they were flying around and charting it out. Uh, are the inhabitants of the inner earth the ones that assisted the Nazis? Or is this an ex another extraterrestrial race? One of the, the most consecutive storylines, most of the data points that I've heard about these craft under the ice is they're very old. There's three of these big ones, and they're all decrepit, meaning they can't fly anymore. They're, they're just down there. They're stuck in the ice. But so big and old of people that landed there that they were actually able to live out of them. Now, Richard, I love it when I can get connecting data points. And the Farsight Institute, which are remote viewers, used the target of that Conan base, that big one under the ice and they were able to uh have their look around they said the performance so clearly built for very tall individuals and everything was broken very very old but they could tell it was absolutely crafted by some kind of intelligent race it's not just a natural formation or a nun attack there's too much symmetry and then once you can get into these open chambers it's quite clear that these are some kind of decrepit craft that were just uh that were left some of those giants that are waking up in stasis are reportedly at one of these craft under the ice but because there are areas that are melting and some that are raising in ice locations that i'm aware of are actually in the melt zone so every year they become a bit more exposed and i would assume that there are other expeditions that are going there to investigate what the, what it's all about so what what, what is the uh, talk about you know connecting data points but what is your hypothesis uh in terms of what the elites let's call them have in mind what are they why are they going down there specifically are they, is there some energy device or what do you suspect they're doing down there well, again, you have the propensity of these big domes under the ice, which might even not be that cold. If you have geothermal energy, you can take a hot spring, a hot shower, uh, and it would warm these domes up. So it's presumed that John Kipoys and he was going to be someone like the master, perhaps of uh, another race of species that invisible masters here, Richard, perhaps the real pullers of the string because we really don't know who owns all the corporations and all the money you, you follow the money and where does it go to two large financial institutions vanguard and blackrock who owns blackrock and vanguard blackrock and vanguard own each other so it's just this this maze of confusion who is really running this planet earth and uh, it could very well be that they exist down there in Antarctica. And I'll tell you this, right before I was heading down there, I was talking to many of our my colleagues in the field, including uh, Michael Sala, who also has done quite a bit of research on Antarctica. And I said, hey, Michael, I'm going to this Palmer Peninsula region. What should I look out for? What is down there that you know that could be uh, seen? And he said, well, there's Rothschild Island. No kidding. Named Rothschild Island. There's also a Rockefeller Plateau just over on the mainland. So they like to name them things after themselves, too. 
And he said, there's a massive Harper Ray or something that is steering the weather because every once in a while you can catch the signature of these frequency waves shooting out from Rothschild up and around to the Western world in the Western hemisphere, including those bigers in Greece about four or five years ago. The signature came from Rothschild Island, This these frequency clouds, and they were targeting this area. So this is a whole other show we could do about geoengineering and controlling the weather. But that's where he told me he knew about. And indeed, that is a place rife with mystery. And don't try to find anything with Google Earth, because I've tried, and you're just going to see frozen tundra. But that is one of the places that some of these elite were going to. And there was a report uh, last year that Klaus Schwab and Christine Lagarde from the EU were going down there. So perhaps going to get their marching orders like John Kerry, and this is what we want you to go back up into the Western world and do for us. Wow, it's headquarters for the uh, the elites. Uh, Brad Olson, uh, we should point out you've got a couple of... Uh... Uh, conferences coming up, Contact in the Desert uh, this June, 2nd to the 4th. Uh, you've got another, I know you were just in Sedona for the Ascension Retreat. You're going back there in April for Sedona UFO sightings. Uh, that's April 15th to the 16th. And in August, Chronicles of Gaia, the Living Truth Summit. Um, no, wait a minute. No, Chronicles of Gaia yep. is something else. That, well, that's in my Mount Shasta and then the Mount Shasta Summer Conference over the summer solstice. I'm also going out to, to Grafton, Illinois, third weekend of May for the Journey to Truth. And I'll also be out in Orlando, Florida again for the Galactic and Spiritual Informers Connection in Orlando, Florida in third weekend of October. So I got a pretty uh, busy schedule going to these conferences, but it's what I love to do and getting the word out there because... We sure live on a strange planet. <laughs> you, we do indeed. We do indeed. Well, I'd love to have your frequent flyer points, Brad. Great <laughs> to see you again. We won't leave it so long next time. Hey, you bet, Richard. Thanks so much for having me on, and always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 